Thanks for choosing a 3CR podcast. Throughout June 2021, we're running our annual Radiothon when we ask you, the listener, to make a donation so that we can continue to make great radio. Your donation will help keep us community-owned and community-controlled. Go to 3cr.org.au forward slash donate. And with that done, please enjoy your podcast. Well, good afternoon, listeners. This is the DOGS program, the Australian Council for Defence of Government Schools. We're here every Saturday at 12 noon. You might notice almost without fail, COVID times or not. Thanks to Dale and Zoom and our young people, we are still here and we are defending and promoting public education. But on Thursday last, I opened the AIDS newspaper and the heading is virus surge in children as Bayside cases rise. So many of our children are now in lockdown. We're all in lockdown. And we all, on the whole, are putting up with it because we're watching what's happening in Sydney. But here in Victoria, the Victorian health authorities are increasingly concerned about the spread of the coronavirus among children after suspected cases of outdoor transmission and surging infections involved school children younger than 10. And we discover a bit later that Victoria, on Wednesday, Thursday, reported 24 new coronavirus cases, far fewer than the 452 in New South Wales. Well, I think a bit later it went up to over 600. Uh, and active infections are amongst the children under 10 here in Victoria, including 28 boys and 22 girls. A further 38 children involved children under 19. So our teenagers, our school-aged children, are in the firing line with this new Delta variant. So what's happening? Are our teachers and our children getting vaccinated quickly enough? So we thought, and we hope that we don't bore you too much today, but we thought that we'd, we'd, we'd tell you a little bit about our perspective on the vaccination of children and teachers in public schools. Because one of the saddest things thrown in perspective by the pandemic has been the privatisation of vaccination priorities in the education sector. It seems that the corruption of the body politic by the private school old boy network has penetrated the public health services. So looking and thinking about this, consider the following two cases. I know we've referred to them in previous weeks, but let's consider them again. And Oliver's going to tell us about the scandal at Riverview in Sydney, or he's going to remind us of, of it. Thank you, Jim. Firstly, according to The Educator, Serious questions emerged in early July over how the entire year group at a prestigious Sydney Catholic school were vaccinated with the Pfizer jab, despite most Australian students not being eligible. It was discovered that according to reports that surfaced by the 8th of July, 2021, vaccinations were given to 163 students attending St. Joseph's College at Hunters Hill in Sydney's Lower North Shore after a request from the college was approved by New South Wales Health in May. Principal Ross Tarlington said the college approached Sydney Local Health District in May to ask if the students could be vaccinated, given the large number of boys who live in a residential community, which includes boys from rural, remote and Indigenous communities. Acknowledging that the college does not determine vaccination priority, it welcomed the opportunity to offer the vaccine for students given the approvals provided, uh, Tarlington told the SNH. 
However, Sydney Local Health District Chief Executive Teresa Anderson said that the vaccinations were only intended for First Nations students at the college and not the entire year group. It was agreed that the Aboriginal students would be vaccinated through the state health system at Royal Prince Alfred's Hospital's vaccination hub, Dr. Anderson said. Through an error, the wider group of boarders in year 12, a total of 163 students were also vaccinated. Sydney Local Health District apologizes for this error. However, many questions are being raised as to how such an error could have occurred in the first place, given the number of stringent measures in place to secure a booking for the jab. NSW Teachers Federation, NSWTF President, Angelo Gavrilatos told the SMH Sydney Morning Herald he was speechless that students received the jab while most teachers were still waiting. We have a Delta variant that can be contracted and transmitted by children, Gavrilatos said. Recognizing schools and the complexity of schools and that you can have in excess of 1000 people in an enclosed environment with a variety that's transmissible by children, teachers must be prioritized. Gavrilatos's predecessor, Maury Melheron, said claims that it was a mistake don't hold up. In error, rubbish. When was the error? When the school contacted health? In what the school asked for? Confusing a handful of kids with the entire year group? When the parent permission forms were accidentally sent to all parents? When all the kids boarded the buses? Smells, he posted on Twitter. We'll, um, we'll stop that there because uh, I think one should remember the famous alumni of Riverview, Mr Rabbit, Mr Hockey, and I believe Mr Joyce also went there. So, um, yes, it has uh, a very interesting, it's a very, very interesting story and a worrying story, I might add. So we'll have a little bit of a break and we'll come back and uh, Maddie is going to remind us of the Wesley College scandal. You can see that this country is covered in the blood of Aboriginal people and the length and breadth of it. Australia is a part of an undeclared war and a secret invasion. And it began 250 years ago this year. Now we have a country that's built on lies, deceit, fraud, propaganda and race hatred indoctrination. Now it's been 250 years of us being oppressed in our own land, brutally. We might be oppressed, but we understand what freedom is and we fight for it every day and we resisted this occupation day one. And I predict colonialism, capitalism, imperialism is going to get knocked out cold by about mid this year. 3CR, your station in struggle and solidarity. To donate, go to 3cr.org.au. Well, you're still listening to the Dogs Program, I hope, because Maddie's going to tell us now about the scandal in Melbourne. You may have heard of it before, but we're just reminding you because uh, it has huge implications if you sit and think about it. Over to you, Maddie. Thank you so much, Jean. On August the 5th, Madeleine Heffernan and Adam Carey of The Age informed Melbourne readers that one of Victoria's biggest private schools will begin vaccinating its staff on campus this week. With several others looking to follow suit after the Union for Non-Government School Staff said an unvaccinated workforce poses an unacceptable risk to the community. Wesley College will begin a voluntary on-site vaccination program for 700 staff across three campuses. The school was approached with free leftover COVID-19 vaccinations by an unnamed vaccination provider that administers the school's annual flu shots and owns and operates GP clinics. There is no cost to the school. The high-fee co-ed school said it was inoculating staff because the best way out of this pandemic is vaccination, and staff had embraced the initiative. This news broke as a teacher at Altaqua College in Truganina was confirmed as testing positive to COVID-19. 
The large non-government school in Melbourne's West was connected with one of the city's worst clusters last year. A Wesley spokeswoman said that the school was pleased to offer all staff the opportunity to have a COVID vaccination on site as part of our commitment to the well-being and safety of our community. The school said it was open to vaccinating students when they became eligible for the jab. Under current rules, staff at Victoria's 107 specialist schools and educators of children with a disability qualify for a fast-tracked vaccine. Education unions have pushed for all teachers and school staff to be prioritised for vaccination, but Premier Daniel Andrews has shot down the idea citing a lack of supply. Wesley said that in line with government advice, staff aged 40 to 59 and pregnant women would get the Pfizer vaccine. Staff aged 60 years and above would get the AstraZeneca vaccine and staff aged 18 to 39 could get AstraZeneca following a consultation with their GP. Other non-government schools in Melbourne are also looking at potentially providing on-site vaccination for staff. This report is a very interesting one since it indicates that a preferential treatment is being received by wealthy private schools over less wealthy private institutions in the western suburbs. Bacchus Marsh Grammar and Trinity Grammar in Kew were both directly affected by Victoria's recent COVID-19 outbreak, with many staff and students infected. Bacchus Marsh Principal Andrew Neal said he hoped the school would be in a position to begin vaccinating staff on-site within the next two weeks, after 21 members of the school community were infected with the Delta variant. Mr Neal said most of those who were infected were unvaccinated staff and students. Isn't that interesting? Well, indeed it is, because if you read between the lines of that report, which is a couple of weeks old, uh, you can see that um, a wealthy school like Wesley College has got connections in the medical fraternity uh, who are prepared to pull a few strings so that the teachers and children at, um, at Wesley got preferential treatment. Preferential not only in, in uh, comparison with public schools, but even with uh, other private schools. Um, and it, I think this is a very worrying um, example of, of preferential treatment when, in fact, you're dealing with children's and teachers' lives. Uh, you can't get anything more, uh, more basic uh, or democratic, um, the worrying than that. But we'll have a bit of a break because um, since those two reports, since uh, those scandals, uh, things have taken a very bad turn in Sydney, but also in Melbourne. And um, politicians have actually been confronted with the realities of what happens if you don't vaccinate the disadvantaged or even communicate with the disadvantaged. Um, because whether they like it or not, we're the plague in times of plague. We're all in it together. 3CR Radiothon. Show your support during June 2021. As much as we are lied to that what is happening in Palestine is complicated, there is nothing complicated about it. Israel maintains a regime of apartheid, ethnic cleansing and occupation. None of these concepts are new. They have all existed in some form throughout history. This nation is founded on settler colonialism. Drawing parallels between our struggles doesn't only shed light on the commonality of different social justice issues, but it also shows us that as Palestinians, our freedom and liberation is so inherently intertwined with the freedom and liberation of so many others around the world. 3CR Radio Time, community-powered radio. To donate, call 03-9419-8377 or donate online at 3cr.org.au. For 
Fears are Palestinian scarves and they're a symbol of support for justice for the Palestinian people. Buying one will support the last remaining factory in Hebron that makes Fafias and all proceeds from the sales support projects in Palestine, especially Gaza, as well as local solidarity organisations. From the traditional black and white kafia to an array of modern designs, all scarves are just $30 each. Explore the range and order online or drop by 3CR during business hours. Wear your support for the rights of Palestinians. Go to kafias.org.au. That's K-U-F-I-Y-A-S.org.au. A 3CR supporter. You're still listening to the dogs, and uh, we're going on with our uh, press release 901, and uh, we're going to go up to Sydney and to the ACT, where the politicians themselves have been confronted with the realities of what it means to be in times of plague. Over to you, Dale. Thank you, Jean. Yes, uh, the plague is getting very close to home for politicians. On Tuesday, Labor ACT Senator Katie Gallagher, who chairs Parliament's COVID committee, has revealed her daughter is one of the latest Australians to have contracted the coronavirus. My gorgeous daughter, Evie, has tested positive for COVID-19, the senator announced on Twitter late on Tuesday night. She is at home with us, but is feeling pretty unwell and understandably worried about what this means for her and for the rest of her family. Our household remains in strict quarantine until ACT Health advises us that we don't need to isolate anymore. Senator Gallagher said she had returned a negative test result, adding she was lucky as she is fully vaccinated. Unfortunately, too many Australians have not had that opportunity, she said. My focus right now is on my little girl and getting her through this. But these events bring a sharp personal focus to the consequences of our government's failure to ensure a prompt, efficient national rollout of vaccines. So, yes, it is getting close to home for some politicians, isn't it, Jean? Indeed, yes. Uh, but um, they're confronted with the realities even more so when they're dealing with large numbers of children in schools in the west of Sydney. So you might like to tell us about that too, what happened and what is happening in Sydney. Who's going to get the vaccines now? Yes, indeed. Uh, in Sydney, however, and to a certain extent in Melbourne, the politicians and health experts are confronted with unsettling realities. On Monday, August 16th, a further seven people have died and 478 new local cases of COVID were detected in New South Wales. The Delta variant has mushroomed in the suburbs inhabited by the less advantaged in the community, even though it started in the wealthier suburbs. Australian teachers are champing at the bit to get vaccinated and parents are very concerned for the safety of their children from the Delta variant. The unions are supporting them. Authorities are worried as more than a third of COVID-19 cases are aged under nine. About 20 closures in August have been in government schools across, the New, South, across New South Wales and Five have been Catholic primary schools in the Parramatta Diocese. These have also been several independent school closures, but there is no centralised record of those. Seven schools closed for cleaning since August 15, despite the fact only children of essential workers and supervising staff have been attending in Sydney and other parts of New South Wales during lockdown. On the 16th of August, the New South Wales Department of Education announced the closure of two more schools, Bankstown Public School and Meadows Public in Seven Hills, due to possible cases of COVID-19. 
Year 12 students in a non-hotspot in non-hotspot areas were officially allowed back on campus in small groups for limited time periods from August 16, but on-site attendance across the education department's Greater Sydney schools declined. 95% of Sydney students learned from home on Monday compared to 92 or 93 percent on previous days as case numbers peaked at 478 daily infections. Well they went up from there didn't they? they went up further from there didn't they they've just been going up and up and up yeah they're in trouble yeah overwhelmingly parents have not been sending their children to school and we thank them for their efforts a department spokesperson said. Uh, school staff in Sydney's hotspot areas, which include eight local government areas in West and Southwest Sydney and several suburbs in Penrith, were told in an email on Sunday evening that they would be eligible for priority vaccination on Monday. And by August 16, we're told that vaccines have been sent to these areas. Almost 32,000 teachers and school staff in Sydney's West and Southwest have been given priority vaccine access amid the escalating COVID-19 outbreak. Well, at last. It's taken them a long time, hasn't it? At last. Over a year. Essential workers, essential workers. And yet, finally, finally, they had to wait till the children were in trouble. That's right. And a politician's child was in trouble. Yeah, amid the escalating COVID-19 outbreak, which has forced more than 30 New South Wales schools to temporarily shut due to confirmed cases. The uh, state government's new priority vaccine program for both school staff and childcare workers in hotspot areas follows weeks of pressure from teachers teachers' unions that has mounted as young people, including children and teenagers, make up the bulk of new infections. I think we, I think we can add, uh, although it's not in that report, that things really started to change when the Catholic school people started to really get to the politicians. In their schools and their children were in trouble. Uh, there was priorita- priorities given to the teachers and the children in our schools. Uh, It took a long, long time. At the beginning of this month, uh, Premier Gladys Berejiklian said she wanted all Year 12 students in the affected LGAs to receive the vaccine and encouraged students to come forward so that they could return to school and sit their HSC in a COVID-safe way. Education Minister Sarah Mitchell said she was pleased the program had provided protection to 15,000 HSC students and thanked them for coming forward. Vaccines are are an important part of returning students to the classroom, but they're not the only part, she said. Vaccination is also important for our school workforce. I strongly encourage all of our workforce to get vaccinated with whatever vaccine is readily available to them. Well, I'm sure they would like to if they were given priority access. Indeed, yes. But it's interesting, isn't it, that it took uh, the numbers to really mushroom in the schools, in the public school system and the Catholic school system for things to happen. But we'll have a break now. Well, brothers and sisters, what a show of strength we've got here today. Local issues. So I'm here at the school, kids strike for climate action. Live coverage. Join the, the spirit of this gathering here today at IMARC. Your voices. So give us a bit of a lowdown about what's happening. There's about 200, 250 people here at the moment. Community struggles. We're now in front of the uh, Tundaminawaya Mawbohina Monument. I'd like to thank Community Radio 3CR, who for the last decade has been broadcasting here. Feed Radical Radio, your membership is vital. A few hundred people about to pass us right now. Lots of young people standing up for their future. Subscribe today. Go to 3cr.org.au forward slash subscribe or call the station on 9419 8377.
listening to the Dogs Program. I hope you're still listening. And uh, we've been talking about how the politicians have been forced to come to terms with vaccinating the teachers and the children in disadvantaged areas. And um, Maddie is going to tell you what has happened most recently in Victoria. Over to you, Maddie. Thank you so much, Jean. Yes, um, in Victoria, the teachers' unions have been active, demanding that teachers be categorised as essential workers. While school staff have not yet been prioritised, more are now eligible to receive a vaccine. In recent weeks, staff at Victoria's 107 specialist schools and educators of children with a disability have qualified for vaccination. And school staff aged 18 to 39 are entitled to receive the AstraZeneca COVID-19 vaccination, which presents an increased, though rare, risk of blood clotting following a consultation with their GP. Government figures show 7,097 children and teens have contracted the coronavirus since the start of the pandemic, and there are growing concerns for children, further heightened this week when 15-year-old Osama Suda died in Sydney after contracting COVID-19 and also having meningitis. Well, it's not good enough that children can get it and don't seem to um, have it affect that big an effect but nobody knows what long-term COVID effect is going to have on our children because no, no, they we don't. don't have the evidence yet. The years haven't no, gone by. So we need to be preventing that as quickly as possible. I, I don't know how or I know who stuffed up the amount of vaccines Australia has gotten and uh, should be getting, but, um, yeah, someone is to blame. I'm sure there's a few people. And I really hope that everyone is getting vaccinated. I saw a statistic the other day on the age that said something about 70% of the population being fully vaccinated in 85 days from now, which is promising and interesting. And I, I hope that those statistics can be backed up. But, yeah, we need to well, do something. We can blame, and that's Teflon Scano. <laughs> Yes, yes, that's exactly who it, I want to uh, name. Because it is, in fact, a Commonwealth um, responsibility. Yes. And we've been fortunate here in Victoria that the state uh, politicians have been prepared to protect us. But um, it still remains, vaccination still remains a Commonwealth responsibility and at the top, the peak of all of that responsibility is one person, and that's Teflon Scano. He can yeah. blame anybody and everybody he likes because he is an absolute expert at that. He may <laughs> not be expert at getting us vaccinated, but he's pretty good at uh, passing the buck. But <laughs> we, yes. all know, we all know. Things are happening at least a little bit in Victoria. Yes, they are. And if you are unsure whether or not you can get vaccinated, you can go to https forward slash forward slash www.coronavirus.vic.gov.au slash who can get vaccinated. Well, thank you very much, Madeline. But uh, we're going to have a bit of a break then and uh, we're coming back with just information for you useful information if you are either a teacher or a student or a, a university student or a TAFE student. It's imperative that you get vaccinated as soon as possible. So we'll tell you how this can be done. We've got a common enemy. The same government that locks up these refugees just behind us here at the Park Hotel is the same government that's going for our rights, trying to attack the very limited gains that casuals have. And so when union activists take up the cause of refugees amongst their fellow workers, it's not an act of charity. It's about building workers' united self-defence mechanism, understanding that we're all part of the same battle. Subscribe to 3CR in 2021. Feed Radical Radio. Subscribe today. Go to 3cr.org.au forward slash subscribe or call the station on 94198377. 
Well, are you a teacher or are you a student and are you vaccinated yet? Dale's going to tell you how you can do it if you're not. Over to you, Dale. Thank you, Jean. Dogs would like to refer our readers and listeners to the Victorian government website, www.coronavirus.vic.gov.au forward slash who can get vaccinated. Uh, More than 200,000 doses will be administered at each vaccination centre each week between the 16th of August and the 19th of September 2021, with all centres operating with extended hours. So information for education staff and higher education and training students receiving a COVID-19 vaccine deals with eligible employees, uh, eligible higher education training and students, uh, how to book an appointment, what to take to vaccine appointments, template letters after the first appointment, and to find out more about the vaccines. And it refers you to vaccines for children and young people. Uh, As part of the phased COVID-19 vaccine rollout, more employees and higher education and training students in critical and higher risk settings are eligible to receive the vaccine. Uh, The rollout is occurring in phases determined by the Australian government on the advice from health experts. Currently, Victorian School and Early Childhood Education and Care, ECEC, employees who are eligible for the vaccine at a state-run vaccine centre include people who are 40 years and older, Aboriginal or Torres Strait Islander people aged 12 years or older, and people with a specified underlying medical condition. Also aged 12 or older, pregnant women aged 16 years and over, and people, uh, participants on the NDIS aged 16 years or over, as well as people aged from between 18 and 39 who provided informed consent can get the AstraZeneca vaccine at many state-run back centres, participating GPs, respiratory clinics and Aboriginal community-controlled health organisations. Informed consent involves signing a document showing that you're aware of the risks of receiving the AstraZeneca vaccine, including the risk of TTS. Employees uh, who now meet Phase 1B eligibility criteria, including Australian Health Practitioner Regulation Agency, uh, registered nurses and allied health workers, clinical and non-clinical roles in schools and ECEC, all teaching support and administration employees in specialist schools directly working with students within 1.5 metres of students for more than 15 minutes, and any teaching and support employees in schools and ECEC working directly with students, that is within 1.5 metres of students and children for more than 15 minutes, living with a specified underlying medical condition or significant disability requiring frequent assistance with activities of daily living. You know, it's a lot of government speak, but essentially, you know, this is where you find out who's eligible and how quickly you can get it done, even though, you know, for so long the teachers' unions have been trying to say, you know, all teachers should be eligible. So there's still quite a few ifs and buts, isn't there? That's correct. What people should be demanding is that all teachers, all all people who have to go out every day and work, particularly in our schools, and all our children in our schools should be vaccinated as soon as possible um, because the situation, in fact, is dire. It is, and by making all of these bureaucratic hoops to jump through, it's not going to make the situation any better anytime soon. Uh, It does go on to uh, describe what they consider a significant disability in the context of vaccination of carers in government schools. But to find out exactly, go to www.coronavirus.vic.gov.au forward slash who can get vaccinated uh, to find all the bureaucratic hoops one needs to jump through as an education professional or student. Uh, Back to you, Jean. Yes, well, it's certainly not good enough. And the doll's conclusion 
is that we look forward to a time when all our teachers and all our children in Australian schools, and most particularly in our public schools where our disadvantaged children are, are vaccinated and safe from the plague. This should be a no-brainer. We shouldn't even be having to look forward to it. If our great and powerful friends in, in Canberra had done their job, we wouldn't have this worry now. But we'll have a bit of a break and we'll go over to a place which is perhaps worse off than Australia in this regard, and that's America. You know, it's quite confusing, the cultural heritage laws in this country, and that is of extreme concern to our people across this country. And, you know, not only the Japarong trees, there's Duke and Gorge, and there are a number of other sacred areas of extreme significance to our peoples across the country that are being, you know, because of the cultural heritage laws that are in place are, you know, not actually protecting our heritage at all. 3CR Radiothon, community-powered radio. To donate, call 03-9419-8377 or donate online at 3cr.org.au. Well, uh, we're back from the break and you're still listening to the Dogs Program. And uh, that's enough of COVID, the plague for the moment, the plague on the plague. Uh, we've got a very interesting article that uh, comes from America by Peter Green. Peter Green is a great uh, promoter of public education in the United States and he's prepared to take on the privatisers, the uh, charter schools which claim that they're public schools, but which are not, they are private schools. It's very interesting too that in a recent uh, federal court case in the United States, uh, when the charter schools wanted to discriminate against children, they were told that yes, they could discriminate because they were private, not public schools. So the only good news about that case is that you've got a definition. Charter schools are not public schools. But Peter Green has written a very interesting article that has been reproduced by Diane Ravitch on her blog site, and he wrote it in the Forbes about the furor that erupted when House Democrats passed legislation to ban federal funding of charters managed by for-profit organisations. So uh, Dale's going to tell us all about that in Peter Green. Thank you. Yes, when he wrote it, the charter industry and its lobbyists went bonkers, falsely claiming that the bill would prevent them from buying food from for-profit companies or hiring plumbers who worked for profit and any other little reason they could find. He wrote, uh, the House Appropriations Committee has caused a stir with one tiny paragraph in, the, in its 198-page health labour and education spending bill. Section 314. None of the funds made available by this Act or any other Act may be awarded to a charter school that contracts with a for-profit entity to operate, oversee or manage the activities of the school. The presence of for-profit operators in, in the charter school sector has long been a concern for critics, with almost all states outlawing a charter school strictly run for profit. But charter school operators have long worked a variety of loopholes, keeping, that, keeping the sector a highly profitable one, and most of those loopholes involve a non-profit charter school hiring a for-profit business. No, we are not talking about contracting services like school buses or cafeteria management. These kind of side functions are frequently contracted out both in charter and public schools, but they are not the school's primary activities. The bill is clear and specific about targeting for-profit entities that operate, oversee or manage the activities of the school. Sometimes the money comes from the real estate side of the charter business. There is such a thing as a business that specialises in charter schools and real estate. In some states, 
a government will help finance a real estate development if it's a charter school. And in general, develop in general, developers have noted an abundance of cash. Though, as one charter real estate loan bond financier told the Wall Street Journal, there's a ton of capital coming into the industry. The question is, does it know what it's doing? Many states have found a problem with charters that lease their buildings from their own owners as well. One example of a real estate operator making money from the real estate side was Carl Palladino of Buffalo. Palladino worked with charter operators via flipping properties and making leaseback deals, as detailed in a report from the Alliance for Quality Education. Palladino not only profited from the schools, but from investments in surrounding properties. He was not shy about any of it. On the question of making money from working with charters, the Buffalo City News quoted him, if I didn't, I'd be a friggin' idiot. While many charters may contract out critical functions such as curriculum, the extreme cases are what are called sweeps contracts in which the Charter Management Organisation, CMO, fully runs the school in exchange for as much as 95% of the revenue that comes in. A report that the Network for Public Education issued earlier this year details many of the creative ways that CMOs turn a profit. CMOs come in a variety of sizes from chain operations running many schools all the way down to mum and dad CMOs that run a single school. These arrangements can be convoluted. In Florida, one charter founder moved on and off the board of directors regularly to allow payments from his school to himself. And while the school was having trouble paying teachers, it was paying his company tens of thousands of dollars to license the school logo. One could argue that outlawing for-profit charters actually made things worse and that what would have been clear and open attempts to profit from a school are now hidden behind multiple operational layers. So that in that article or the part that we read, you can see how the charter schools are a little bit like the bottom of the schoolyard schemes that we had here in Australia or, you know, tax uh, avoidance schemes. They, they appear to be okay on the surface, but they contract out operations to for-profit companies further down the line. They obviously have very, very pretty arrangements when you start uh, making the uh, connection between the various companies and so on. And you see a lot of that in the tax avoidance industry in Australia and around the world for that matter. Uh, yes. Any, any way to make money out of the education of children. Shocking, isn't it? Just the whole concept that there's a tax avoidance industry. It just goes to show exactly what a lack of sense of community neoliberalism has. It's very much about the profit of one rather than the good of all. And it just can't get more obvious than that by having uh, a tax avoidance industry and it be legal. Yes, well, when it's together with uh, the, the um, gambling industry, as we found with Crown, it really is a, um, uh, well, one wonders about our society, doesn't one? But uh, we won't moralise anymore. We'll have a bit of a break because we're going to come back with a very interesting great state school. The school we're going to talk about, Maddie's going to talk about, is a very interesting school. It, um, it services mainly disadvantaged children uh, in the northwest of uh, inner city Melbourne, uh, and it changed its name in 2015. But in fact, the school itself goes back well over 100 years, right to almost the beginning of education in Victoria. And um, since 2015, when it changed its name, it also changed the way it delivered curriculum and it's put itself on the map. All the locals know about it and they know that they're getting tremendous results in the school and their children from disadvantaged backgrounds are, are turning up in our, our uh, tertiary institutions. But 
strangely enough, it is not listed on the My School website. <laughs> but a bit of a break and back with Maddie and the Great State School. For three years, teachers have had their qualifications, their pay, their pensions and their working conditions attacked relentlessly by this government. I'm a proud product of a government-funded primary school education and of a government-funded secondary school education. Australia is one of the richest and luckiest countries in the world and there's no reason whatsoever why we can't have the very best public schools in the world. It's simply not good enough that kids with disability miss out. You're listening to The Dogs, the defence of government schools on 3CR. Every week on The Dogs Program we have a special segment show a different state school is a great school. State schools are great schools. School of the week. State school. School of the school. week. Great state schools. State, state schools. schools. School of the week. Schools. School for the week here on the Dogs Program. And this week's great state school is Mount Alexander College. Mount Alexander College is situated in the inner west of Melbourne. It is a co-ed high school from years 7 to 12 with a vertical class structure. It is a student-centred school with a focus on enabling authentic student empowerment, which in turn allows students to take control of their learning. To provide a safe and supportive community of lifelong learners where respect, success and diversity are valued and where students and staff are supported to realise their potential both within the school community and beyond is Mount Alexander College's purpose. The values of Mount Alexander College are one, striving for excellence, the development of a passion to learn and high aspirations through the pursuit of excellence in teaching and learning the celebration of personal achievement and success. Two, belonging and community. The provision of a safe, inclusive learning environment in which all members of the school community feel a sense of belonging and are valued for their contributions to the school. A sense of community is encouraged through inclusive practices that reflect a respect for individual differences and a celebration of diversity. Three, engagement. The implementation of a meaningful, relevant and appropriately challenging curriculum and the provision of a co-curricular program that encourage participation, citizenships and student leadership. Four, integrity. The promotion and modeling of consistently honest, transparent, responsible, and ethical behavior that upholds these core values and principles. Uh, Mount Alexander's curriculum has a wide range of electives for students to choose from. They are able to select electives from entry level, which is year seven, all the way through to graduate, so years 11 and 12. All students are guided in their subject choice through course counselling, allowing them to plan their learning pathway. Isn't that just gorgeous? It really sounds like they're supporting the individual. It's interesting considering how little funding and allocation there is for actual counsellors within public schools. We've got the so-called chaplaincy program, which is incredibly problematic, which precludes people who are actually counsellors from giving counsel uh, unless they're Christian. And yet here is a state school that actually does have counselling. It's, it's great. Yes, yes, it's very, very, very important. There was a, um, a letter in the newspaper in the last week I noticed where a principal, an ex-principal who's retired, can't get um, entry into the chaplaincy program because uh, he doesn't have religious qualifications. 
Um, yes, there's, there's a madness about the whole situation as far as the chaplaincy program is concerned, because particularly given what's happened with our children during this plague uh, epidemic, um, they're going to need all of the counselling they, they can get. Mm. There's a lot of evidence already that there's going to be big, big, big mental health problems when our children come back to school. Yeah. Uh, when, when things get better. Yes, it's, it's a very worrying situation indeed. But this school, this school is well-placed and it has been doing a great job with the children who come from disadvantaged backgrounds. And so so great is its, um, is its reputation now that the wealthy people of Flemington, uh, because it, uh, there are a lot of wealthy people around Flemington and Kensington, are looking at this as an alternative school to University High. Very interesting. Mm. Diversity in learning is embraced at Mount Alexander College and students are not forced into a VC pathway if this isn't the right choice for them. For these students, other options, including VCAL, are offered to them. It just sounds like a really supportive environment. I am so for this gorgeous school. The most well, important the good news is that it's not a very big school either. I think you'll find that the enrolment is less than 500. And, right. uh, and a lot of the schools we have been talking about, secondary schools, are uh, anything up to 2,000, 3,000 students uh, on a number of campuses. This is one campus. It's fairly close. It's a local school. Local. It's close to the local children who attend it, and it is not over large. So... Um, very special treatment can be given to every child if you've got a school that's under 500. Yes, that is true. Um, the most important thing for every student is providing them with their best pathway to success. I want to talk about their facilities. So Mount Alexander College has recently updated and enhanced its facilities. Some of the enhancements include a Mac lab, a sustainability garden, a cafe, within the upgraded resource centre, a new fitness centre, an outdoor classroom and improvements to the passive recreation areas. Projects that are about to commence include a multi-purpose sports court with cricket nets and an environmental adventure playground. Well, that sounds really fun to me. I would like to go to an environmental adventure playground. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to go I into a lot of this one at the moment, but all the programs are closed around. <laughs> it's probably for the best. It's really interesting to hear all these, well, what sound like capital works happening at a public school. It's great. It's very, it very. Great. Baronial, we don't notice, uh, however, there they haven't got a baronial tower for a library. <laughs> it sounds as if all of these things are very necessary part of the curriculum that they offer. Mm. Yeah, yeah. I really um, appreciate their focus on the environment and sustainability. I think that's um, something that's really important to be uh, written into all curriculum. And um, I'm studying university at the moment, and it seems in almost every subject that I do, it's spoken about, which um, really have to clap my hands to the people who are writing that curriculum and ensuring that our environment is is um, being advocated for, really. The climate change issues hopefully are going to get addressed. But, you know, unfortunately it might be past the point of no return. But um, anyway, onward and upward. Uh, tell us a little bit about the history of uh, this school. I can definitely do that. The year 2018 marks 160 years of education on this site. 160 years. The school has had many different names and purposes. However, they are very proud to still be delivering education to young people after 160 years. Mr. Wayne Haworth was appointed the school principal in 2015. And in doing so, he turned the school around with a new focus. The focus shifted from a secondary school delivering traditional education to an authentic student-led student-centred education. A vertical curriculum was created with students being able to choose from over 100 electives. That's crazy. 
while this is still a fairly new change, it is a change that has had significant impact on student happiness and achievement and overall enrolments. So the school was rebranded in 2012, marking a new era for the school. Principal Alan Davis brought in a compulsory uniform and changed the direction from a school that catered mostly for students who had English as their second language to a school for the local community. The name Mount Alexander College references the school's long history in its current location and its landmark position in the Flemington community. When Mr. Davis left the school in 2014 to take a regional role in Geelong, Miss Jane Wignall, the assistant principal, took on the role as acting principal until her retirement when Mr. Haworth was appointed. Um, from 1983 to 2011, it was called Debney Park Secondary College. Mm -hmm. And from 1973 to 1983, um, it was called Debney Park High School. Um, a single was produced by Fable Records in the early 1970s by Bert Newton and the Debney Park High School Band. An Xmas-themed release, which reportedly reached number 11 on the Melbourne charts. <laughs> isn't that, isn't that great? They said it was a good music teacher at that school in those days and some very musical students, all students are musical, of course. <laughs> yes, yes, just a fun fact for you there. Um, in 1966 to 1972, it was Flemington Girls High School. Um, in 1931 to 1966, it was Flemington Girls School. And in 1925 to 1931, it was the Flemington School of Domestic Arts. How interesting. So it goes back, it was really a technical school. Mm. Um, then it became a high school. That, and now it's a secondary college and they've changed the name. And um, it really is becoming a very upmarket school for disadvantaged children and the wealthy. I'm sorry that we haven't got the My School website um, facts and figures about this, but uh, we tried and uh, it's just not on the My School website. I really don't know why, but there should be a lot of questions asked about it. Um, it's fallen through some sort of cracks. But uh, here on 3CR we can talk about it and um, uh, we do refer our, our listeners to make some more inquiries about this uh, wonderful, great state school. But our time has gone and we have to say bye for now. And if you'd like to find out more about the dogs, visit our website at www.adogs.info. But until next Saturday, it's bye for now. Oh.
brought you here last night, alive as you and me. Says I, but Joe, you're ten years dead. I never died, says he.